Welcome to Razor Branding Podcast with Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Hi, it's Jackie Russo. Welcome to Razor Branding Podcast. I am so honored and delighted to have with me Michael Murdoch and Robert Dale uh, with StoryCube. And we are going to talk about branding. Uh, we're going to talk about life in the UK. And we're going to talk about where marketing is heading next. So, Robbie and Michael, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you very Thank much you. for having us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Is this not the shortest intro you've ever had? I can just get right to the point. There's no reason to wait. Absolutely. No, no, no messing. We, we buy into that. <laughs> exactly. So for the people who are watching and listening, it's possible that they detect from your accents that you are not from Louisiana, where I am based. So if you don't mind, each of you take turns and tell us where you're from and kind of how long you've been there and just a little bit of background history. Oh, what we're doing. Well, anyone that's uh, listening in from Glasgow in Scotland, which is where I am, will also probably think that that's oh, not where I'm from. But it is, actually. I have a, a, an overly neutral accent for reasons I'm sure won't come up in this uh, in this conversation. Um, but I actually, yeah, I grew up in Scotland, but I was in London for 14 years. That's where I, I worked. So that's why I started working in agencies and, and, and doing various different projects and where Michael and I uh, met. And then as one does, uh, had two small children and uh, a wife, well, met the wife, had the children. Uh, that was mainly the order. And then um, we moved back up here, um, actually just before the pandemic hit. So January 2020. So it's been a fascinating reintroduction uh, to a city I thought I knew quite well. And and, and then it's all it's all been quite different. But uh, yeah, that's where I am. And then, you know, we, we were touching this beforehand, obviously, but the remote working process has been it's kind of chimed, I guess, with the the moves I've made. I was, you know, I expected to be on planes and trains and automobiles the whole time, but uh, it's been quite nice. I've just been in this attic. So. <laughs> I'm not sure that being locked in the attic is nice, but I'll take your I, word for I, it. I enjoy. I enjoy the. Attic. Are you locked my, in? My wife wonders why I enjoy it so much, but I just like the quiet. You know, that's the way it goes. <laughs> you already told us why, because you have two small children downstairs, so we are. know why you they like are. it up in the attic. So, Michael, tell us a little bit about your background and and story. Sure, sure. Um, so I'm from London um, and still in London, so I haven't moved very far. Um, I'm a graphic designer by trade. I uh, specialize in brand strategy. Um, I run an agency called The House and have done for about 12, 13 years. And out of that has come StoryCube over the last few years. And that's when uh, myself and Robbie worked a lot more closely together, although we have worked on various projects over the last sort of 10 years in, in various formats. Um, Luckily, I've worked abroad as well, worked in Hong Kong for a couple of years um, early in my, my career, um, really enjoyed that and would love to do something similar in the future, maybe Singapore's on the horizon at some point. Um, but now I get the opportunity from London working remotely um, to connect with people like yourself and clients all over the place in Asia, in Europe and in the States. So it's doesn't really matter these days, does it? You can you can still travel the world from your, your room. So it's all all good. I think it's interesting because you're right. It doesn't matter where you sit. All we have to do is navigate the time change. And so as long as we can figure out what time zone someone's in, the rest is gravy with technology these days. So what came first, the pandemic or StoryCube? Was one a product of the other? Well, I think uh, the way StoryCube is now has been to some extent a product of the of the pandemic, but it, it started actually in the, <laughs> we always, we sometimes think back to these days, don't we, Michael, of uh, when we were, we got invited to start doing some workshops, basically on branding. Um, initially, at the British Library was probably the main place where this, this started. So great uh, sort of institution, obviously, in, in London. And um, 
you know, they run classes, they run sort of opportunities for people to come in. They've got a thing called the Business and IP Center. But we were asked to do that. Or I think, Michael, you'd been having conversations with him and you, we'd been talking on and off about doing something interesting, which has turned out to be StoryCube. Um, and so we went in and did like a two-hour session. Actually, I think it was longer than that. I think it was like three hours or something of, of like hours. talk. And it was... I mean, I'm not going to say it was awful because it wasn't awful. It was, it was like the content was there if you could fight your way through the fact that, you know, and these, these are the lessons I think one learns don't they, in so many ways. Like there's too much information. You know, it wasn't structured properly. Um, the Q&A was probably half decent because we were used to kind of doing that. Um, but anyway, you know, we, we, we started there. And I think that's four years ago, three years ago, something mm, like that. Yeah, good four probably, years probably ago. four years ago now. Yeah. And we looked at that. I, I think we went and, you know, to a cafe or whatever. We looked at it and we thought, there's something quite interesting here because we had really bought into the idea of how do you, how do you kind of scale the lessons that we'd learned from 15-odd know, years working at the coalface at that point? I was a creative director in agencies. I'd worked in branding agencies, digital agencies with huge clients, with social enterprises, Hollywood studios, politicians, all kinds of different stuff. And you're kind of getting this, I, I describe it often as an expensively assembled education. You know, there's huge budgets being thrown around and, and, and it's just like going to a you know, big private university for, for, you know, how do you get people interested in stuff? But actually the frustration was either that um, sometimes those clients, to be completely honest, you know, you, you, you were struggling to get to the heart of what their real challenges were because of all the stakeholders, because of all the issues that we all understand in that world. But actually, maybe more pertinently, Mike and I are both very interested in the education world, very interested in social enterprises and charities, as well as other businesses. But in those worlds, of course, there are even more struggles with resource. So the money isn't there, the time isn't there, the team isn't necessarily there. How could we sort of offer that information to people in an easy to digest way and then scale that to a place where we could kind of say, look, you don't need to spend tens of thousands of dollars, pounds, yen, wherever you are in the world, or whatever you're paying it, um, to, to get this information. Don't get me wrong, of course, there is stuff that is more nuanced. Of course, there are situations that clients are in. If you're a big high street bank trying to compete with another high street bank, different conversation. That's not what we're talking about. But when you are starting something out or you're trying to scale something quite small, there's some principles at work. And so, to get to the point, we sat down and kind of thought, could is there a way that we can structure this stuff um, into a quite easy to digest package or framework or something that was the kind of early start and over i don't know michael you can pick up the conversation a bit but over the next couple of years we kind of turned that from that word soup right <laughs> of like oh we'd like to do this into what we have now which is a framework of six questions is, is at the heart of it yeah and and i think like every good business or entrepreneur at the start we were trying to solve a problem and at the very early days, it was, okay, what problem can we solve? Is there a problem out there that maybe we've experienced or we know is a problem for other people and we can solve it? it literally could have been anything that we created. We, we landed on StoryCube. Um, and, I mean, initially we had an idea um, about making contracts easier for agencies and, and more generally small businesses so that they didn't have to go to expensive law firms and they could do the basics of employment contracts, of client contracts, of NDAs and all those things and, and get them kind of off the shelf and then uh, customize them. And we, we called that contract hero. We went down that route for about six to 12 months. It didn't work out. We didn't make enough traction with the legal sector. 
but interestingly five six years later it's it's becoming a thing now and there's other companies doing it and doing really well but then we went back to story cube because we knew that a lot of the people we'd worked with um had had this issue the, the main issue of explaining what they do um with the outcomes of looking to inspire pitch and sell with ease and we knew that yes you could you could go to an agency or a consultant or a freelancer you go through the creative brief you get asked all the usual questions they may do a workshop, they may do some exercises with you, um, they work their creative magic, they come up with some ideas, you iterate, and you come out with a solution. But that's all, lots of time, lots of resources, lots of effort, um, potentially lots of money as well, and not necessarily the right outcome. So we just wanted to fast track that, basically. But it, it StoryCube really has evolved over, over years. It's gone from those dodgy workshops where we kind of explained everything we know about branding, um, which were still useful and, and scored quite well, but they weren't scoring very well. Um, and it, then it, we refined it down to the six key questions that we have we now. Should, uh, um, we should probably tell you what StoryCube is, shouldn't we? Yes, how please. It, how, it, how it looks. I mean, as we've said, it's kind of six questions. Michael touched on the point I should have made there, which is it's really about how you explain your organisation, right? So whether that's a business, I mean, mostly businesses, but yeah, it works for charities. It's interestingly done some bits with personal branding as well, and it kind of works in the same way. Um, and the six questions that the framework asks are, what problem are you solving? How are you solving it? What uh, differentiators sets you apart? What motivations do you have? And those four elements um, kind of quantify the, the what of the story that you're going to tell. And then there's the other two sides are connections. How do you reach the audience effectively that you need to speak to? How do you get them excited? And obstacles, what could get in your way? And then more optimistically, how do you turn them into opportunities? And we've boiled that down over lots of, I mean, we've worked, it's, it's at least probably about 1,500 to 2,000 now different organizations that we've actually connected with and put this in front of and seen. So we've learned a lot over that time, but it's been pretty um solid really now for at least a couple of years i'd say but pre-pandemic and mm. what we essentially do is put that in front of people and say if you can answer those six questions you can tell a compelling story about your brand and there's three things i suppose we always like to be clear on that i will highlight one is to say that when we say story and and i think that's a loaded term especially in this world and especially there's a, there's an element of kind of yeah cool everyone wants to tell their story what does that mean i mean to me it's as simple as it is the way that you uh you know convince people of something that you reach a, a target with them it's you know the parables in the bible are great stories you know my small child trying to get me to give him chocolate at 3 a.m it's not 3 a.m he's normally asleep at 3 a.m thankfully let's try 7 a.m still happens um you know that tells a good story you know tells a he understands the audience he's talking to he understands what levers to pull um he doesn't get it because i'm a grown human being and i can deal with my child but um he gets pretty close you know he does a good job so understanding that element and seeing it as a it's it's you know it's not a fuzzy fluffy you know let's use long words and be kind of crazy it's it's about being precise and accurate and actually understanding exactly what that problem is so you can communicate it exactly what sets you apart from your competition so you can communicate it i think that's one element i mean another is that you will tell lots of stories you know when we we we, we take these six points down but actually the reality is that is going to form your sort of core but you may have a b2b and a b2c element to what you do you may be working in china and the us and europe and there are different things that you want to promote in each area you may just have different products obviously that you want to sell so um that's that's good as well and you know you kind of build up from there but i think the the heart of it all and, and, and michael sort of touched on this 
is we recognize that people struggled to kind of take this this like it's brand it's value proposition it's storytelling it's marketing it's strategy all these words that if you're like a founder of you've just had a nice idea and and you're trying to do something with it um or you're from a finance background for example an operations background it's just a bit scary and a bit a bit crazy and so the the final thing with the cube that we we always say to people is it's a cube on purpose it's solid it's physical and I mean, the alternative was we were going to call it Story Insect because that has six legs. Um, but Michael didn't want to own any any cockroaches and, and keep them creepy, wasn't it? It was a little it weirded you out, didn't it? Um, but we <laughs> but we thought with the cube, it it's kind of like a you know a, a, a foundation brick that you can sit down there and you can then build things on it. And so from a sort of and I get a bit creative directory, you know, but it's like uh, you know you can build things on top of it. You can it's a solid thing. You can hold it in your hands. You can move it around, and um, and that helps, I think, people as well. You know, once we kind of hit upon some of that element, people kind of saw it very much as a like friendly thing that they can totally do, not something that's a dark mystic art. And again, you know, of course, you take this stuff to the extreme. There is a lot more to it. You know, we're not trying to pretend that uh, we're also not trying to do ourselves out of business because obviously a lot of the work you know we do as consultants or as agency wise, whatever, is, is it goes into much more detail and nuance. But this is you need to get to the start line you need to be able to compete and you know on, on things and think about this stuff and we really hated it i guess is the simplest way to put it when we would see organizations fail because they missed some of this stuff which just should be basic should be should be go for it you know we don't want to hold people back we and we'd rather they didn't pay us and went and did amazing things rather than fail you know that's the you know don't want to be there do y'all find, and this is what we find often in with clients in the States, that they're so focused on features. They want to tell you how long they've been in business, how many employees they have, how many locations, that they don't understand the importance of getting from features to benefits, much less to stories. So how do you train people out of that mindset to say, it's not about the features. Nobody wants to hear about you. They, they want to hear a story that they can connect with. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely definitely something that's important. Um, we look at solutions, and, and two part of that is what you do. That's the basics, and that's normally what people know and that, how they start. But how you do it, what's your process, what's your systems, and what what will be beneficial, as you say, to the to the customer, the end user, the person that's going to, or the, the organization that's going to um, add the revenue and, and create the profit, um, and how do you keep them happy? Um, part of that would be looking at the differentiators as well. Yeah, it's worth hi highlighting um, things like you, you've been around long enough to, uh, to show credibility, but it's got to connect with what's important to uh, their customers. It's got to be the right awards. It's got to be the right case studies that are relevant to them, showing sector knowledge. It's got to be the right testimonials. It's got to be the right reviews, and they should be five-star reviews, if not four, four-and-a-half-star, um, and completely relevant to show every single time that tes testimonial should also follow on from the value proposition, reinforcing that value proposition of is it high quality? Is it um, delivered on time, on budget um, by by experts that really know the industry? So, yeah, we're, we, we always suggest simplifying, simplifying back down to what are your core principles? What are you doing for your customer? Have you validated their customer problem to solve? And therefore, everything you say follows al along yeah. those lines. I think, I think the other thing, and a, and a real, I find myself constantly saying when we do Q and As, and and we and we do um, a lot of workshops and stuff with StoryCube, and and we do um, sort of industry specific sprints and things like that over a couple of weeks where we bring cohorts together, so a real mix of stuff. But um, 
one of the things I find myself constantly saying is like, you know, as a consumer, how you go about looking at things. You know, you, we get served advertising all the time. We get recommendations all the time. Um, and, you know, in the modern era as it is, you, you recognize an issue that you have, uh, you know, uh, well, uh, I want a, I'm hungry. I want a sandwich. You're walking down a high street. You are looking at the different places, making decisions based on the things that matter to you. Part, you know, it might be price related. It might be you know specifically what you want. It might be how you know. Oh, I wouldn't look cool if I go into that salmon shop. I will if I go into that salmon shop. I don't know who's making that decision, but you get the analogy. Um, and we know that we know that instinctively because we do it all the time. And it is hard to to for other people to get us to put our hand in our pocket, to get us to give them time, to get us to give them energy. And as soon as you kind of recognize that and hold that mirror up, I think you, you're kind of talking at least on a basic, you see, that is what everyone's doing. Um, and sometimes you have to go into the kind of like, yeah, I never actually had to go this far, but it's like, make a list of the priorities in your life. You know, if you if a brand is in the top 100, you've got a serious issue, mate. Like that is not normal. You know, it's it's because it, it's just like, oh, lying on this fluffy carpet, that sounds more fun than going and buying a Coke or getting a new apple product you know whatever like that stuff's still great don't get me wrong i love a coke i love an apple product well, fine i'm a normal human being but it's it's not right up there and 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 so you've got to tear people away from the kids and the football and the friends and the family and the also to that's all positive stuff but the pressures of real life like paying the rent and you know having a sore leg and whatever else it is so sometimes holding that mirror up i think is the functional way to to do it uh, with, with hopefully some humour, because otherwise I think people <laughs> take it a bit a bit far. But it's um, it's it's important, and it's the only answer. It's the only way to get to the right answer, and that's all we're trying to do is help people grow what they're trying to do. You know? Right? Do you find that most people are able to follow StoryCube and and become the writers, find that writer within them, or in the end, do they still need some professional guidance? Because some people just aren't very good writers and storytellers. Yeah. I think I, I think that's probably a fair assessment overall. I mean, it, it, like anything, like you know, there, there are people that kind of it clicks for them, and I think they've they've sort of found the missing uh, recipe for what you know, whatever it, we want to call it. That suddenly they go, okay, I get that. And we do say to people, this is the start point. You know, you want to now go and test, you know, usual stuff as well. You try this, you test it, do more of what works, do less of what doesn't. Um, but they're all, yeah, there are people who just kind of, could you could you help us out? And I mean, I'll let Michael pick up the baton from this, but to some extent, that was the the genesis, really, of, of starting to create something that we could we could put well, out the, there. The aim, and it works best when companies are looking to to grow. It, but it doesn't matter what stage of growth. So it could be day one, and we've had companies day one. They've got an idea, um, but they're very keen to make this happen and take it seriously. And so they they sit, they listen, they take it in, they they practice, they. Um, give things a punt they, they they try their best and they come out of it with a framework and something that makes it easier and that's absolutely fine but then there's companies who have literally had uh, 70 year old businesses on board as well but they needed to reinvent what they were doing it was the third or fourth generation it was a family business and people um, the the people taking over were looking to do something different also the competitors were different the audience was different their product might be different so yes i got the same name as a company but they needed to re reinvent themselves and look at their story again so but again they've gone through the same process they're still new to storytelling they're still new to marketing and branding and needed a framework to go through we always relate it to um to cookbooks and, and robbie's just mentioned the recipe i i am a terrible terrible cook 
But if you give me a recipe, I will follow it diligently and hopefully come out with something that's not so bad. But my wife is a brilliant cook and she, she'll happily just make stuff without recipe books. But she still likes a recipe book and we'd still follow the same thing. But I know she's adding those little extras that doesn't even cross my mind uh, and making the dinner that much better. It's the same with brand storytelling. You might do better. That's We, we always ask the question, um, how, how strong is your brand rated out of 10? A self-assessment right at the start. And people often give five, six, seven out of 10. Nothing much more than that. It doesn't really matter what score they give. We say at the end of this session, we want you to be one point on. At the end of two or three weeks of doing this, at the end of three months of doing this, at the end of whatever experimentation time, we want you to keep going up towards 0.10. And it's a constant battle and it might might go up 0.1 at a time. Um, but that's that, that movement is really important. And obviously for the bigger brands that have been around for ages um, and doing brilliant things, then, then it's going to be the 1% difference, not the, the 10, 20% difference. It's those tiny little things that, that push them just enough so they're ahead of the competition and get the, the attention of, uh, of their audiences, whether they're charities or private sector companies. What do you say to the people who seem to be confused about what a brand is in the first place? You know, as they're going through and doing the self-assessment and they think you're just talking about the logo um, instead of the emotional connection, the messaging, the story, how it all connects. I don't think, you know, I think there was definitely a time when we used to go quite heavy on that. And I think if we have to, you know, it's, it, I, we, we kind of talk into the, you know, this is everything you do, you know, it's a reflection. And I think we talk, you know, I, I guess what we say within the sort of the core story through materials, as it were, because there's an online course and all kinds of stuff as well, is, um, is you know, this is the bottom of a pyramid basically this is the foundation then everything that you're going to do will build on that your design elements so yeah of course your logo and your packaging and whatever marketing you do but but also you know how you do your customer service also how you um recruit you know all of these different kinds of things and um people kind of tend to tend to get that on board now when i say get that on board i think the, the sort of nub of your question is there's a kind of academic like okay yeah, i kind of see that but you know, let's, you know, are we going to make the logo look different or whatever? Or, or actually, weirdly, we've had quite a few briefs recently, Mike, haven't we, where people have said, don't touch the logo. Mm. Um, I wish I don't, I've never quite noticed that before, but they've sort of come for branding not, so that's kind of a good thing, like they recognise that that isn't the be all and end all. Um, but I do think that even when that's happened, other stakeholders have kind of gone, well, I don't see the point in any of this because we haven't, you know, change the logo, basically. And that's what we feel like we're paying for. So, uh, you know, I think, again, and I, I always bring it back to these things, I think, again, it's, it's, it's asking people to recognize, you know, when you see, you know, a logo is a symbol, you know, it's a symbol that represents something. But I can't just slap, you know, the Nike logo or whatever onto a thing. And, and, and if it's like a shack in the middle of, you're going to know that something's not quite right. That's not doing all the work. Now, it, you might think to yourself, I don't know, is this some kind of cool thing? Are they doing like a partnership with the Kenyan Athletics Foundation? Like, I don't know what's going on. But it might be uh, that someone's just using that stuff and it doesn't matter. Whereas equally, we know the opposite, which is you go into, I don't know, uh, probably something like a restaurant's a good example, where you think, oh, not too sure about this, but it, well, it is what it is. We're hungry. This is where we are. But you get incredible service. You know, the food's beautiful. You know, everyone's really friendly. And you just like completely fall in love with it. But you might not even remember the name of it, you know, later, because it's kind of just somewhere you stopped off on a road trip or whatever. And and that stuff, that's the stuff that you get people go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, like that is true, isn't it? It's like, yeah, because you, you're a human being. 
you're trying to connect with human beings so use that because you've been around for 20 30 40 years um and you can kind of take that on board and i think that's always personally that's why i was trying to drag people back towards to get them to understand. i think we had a, a bit more of it in the early days when we were first testing everything out as the workshops at the british library every month um it was called branding on a budget so it guided the conversation. It guided the type of people that wanted to come along. They were they had a small budget generally. Um, they were starting out, and that was our own positioning. And it's it's I mean as an age as an agency and creators um, with creative background, we also had our own challenges of what are we creating? We're not really sure. It's evolving over the first year or two, um, and therefore the positioning needs to evolve as well. So we've gone through this process for ourselves um, in, in trying to create it for other people. Um, and we did talk about what is a logo, Is it, here's our famous logos, here are not very good logos, here are brilliant logos, here are clever logos, here are fun logos. And we, in the end, have ditched all of that because we realised that it's not important and it was detracting from the main conversation, which is about, as Robbie says, it's the foundation. What is the strategy behind the company? And part of the strategy is, in some way, storytelling. And, and explaining what that strategy is. So it's as much about business advice as to who are you helping, how are you helping them, what problem are you solving, how are you going to deliver on that? And there's even conversations when we coach and consult directly about the day-to-day -day running of the business. But that obviously evolves into our key expertise of, okay, well, we can turn that into a story. We can turn that into value propositions and mission statements and values and all the way down to, what do you put in an email to in, in terms of sales? Um, and obviously in terms of the, the look and feel, if appropriate, if it's a new business, they need something. Um, if it's a current business that's been established, then often a rebrand re is needed, even if it's just a tweak to what they've already got. And as Robbie said, like recently we've had uh, two or three um, briefs brought to us and saying, please don't touch the logo. Um, but we're open to to changing it if needs must but it will be based on the brand strategy and the positioning not just because we want to change it and these are expensive processes depending on the business changing the logo physically is just expensive and sometimes unnecessary so i can see why they wouldn't do it so there just has to be good reasons but that that comes with a more mature business and now with story cube i think our messaging is clearer to to say this is about the story and the strategy not the look and the feel necessarily that comes later um and we're probably talking to more established businesses which get it anyway right we used to Absolutely. get we used to get a lot of i, I think actually naming was always a big thing as well people always get, get obsessed about the name and when i think about smaller organizations we would get these questions a lot because when we started out doing the british library and even still do some quite open uh things people will come who are really just you know kitchen top table uh, is that a phrase? Uh, working out in the kitchen, doing their doing their business, and I constantly saying to me, they'd be obsess obsessing over. It's like, but, but what's the name going to be? What's the logo? Like, what do you do? And it's like, I make jam or something. And you're like, stick it in some things. Go to a market, sell the jam. Well, what shall I call it? Oh, what's your name? Michael. Michael's jam. Like that's it. Don't the rest of it just doesn't matter. Come back when you've gone. I'm selling really good jam. I think I might need to take this a bit further because you know lots of reasons why you would want to do that and you know and and that's uh that's the simplicity of it, but it's always going back to do do something do something do something do something and talked about what you achieve that's active and tangible not 
this fluffy stuff over over here. I mean, I always think the Beatles is about the worst band name I can think of, but I mean, that hasn't held them back. So it's, uh, you know, it's all good. Right. I think you make a great point. Um, there's two comments that I have neglected to share as we've been going through this. One of my favorite humans in the world, Jonathan Sachs says, totally agree. And this is literally 30 minutes ago. So I'm not sure what he's agreeing with, but we sounded really smart when we were talking. Uh, it's understanding the client's we concept. Right, right. Well, Jonathan's smart. So if he agrees <laughs> with you, that's a good thing. Uh, it's understanding the client's concept and why that person is buying. And then my number one favorite human, Michael Russo says, exactly. You have the right to give them a reason to pay attention why they should care. And so I think that comes out of the story. There are two Americans um, who I think have done a really good job with story. And I'm wondering if you know them, follow them, think they're rubbish. See, I was going to work in an English word at some point. Um, <laughs> one is Park Howell and the other is Donald Miller. And Donald has On Becoming a Story brand. Are you familiar? With Donald Miller, yeah, I, yeah. I am. I don't know about the, the other guy, Robbie. Park is no, really good too. I'm, I'm useless. I don't pay much attention. Uh, I, I see very little these days. It's very interesting because we we started uh, StoryCube about four years ago, and I think it was about twelve months in, people started saying, "Do you mean Story Brand?" And we we're like, <laughs> "No, what what are you talking about?" And so then we looked it up, and and yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, yeah. re really great frameworks there, really great processes, uh, really interesting videos. Um, yeah, and there's there are similarities for sure. So yeah, we we enjoy looking at that. Well, I think any good brander is going to have those similarities because we all believe in exactly what we've been talking about, which is you have to give pre people a reason why. And so you have to communicate that in a story. There are differences between you and your competition and not you're not right for everybody. Uh, how often do you get that? People say, you know, who's your target audience? And they say, everyone, everyone. everyone. Yeah. It's a classic, um, isn't it? Right. I have yet to find one company whose audience is truly everyone not one because yeah. i think even in we use examples of um things like energy companies and it's sort of uk-based stuff or, or, or and i've got an international audience but part of the reason for that is like yeah all the gas and electricity that goes through although we're having huge problems over <laughs> with gas and electricity at the moment um because we don't have our own but it's um you know it's the same it's exactly the same you switch exactly the same but that even more makes the point that the different organizations of which there are even just in the UK market, dozens and dozens, um, but certainly big ones and small ones, they have to talk to the audience they're talking to. And it might be green energy, and it might be price sensitive, and it might be community-based, and it might be service-based, whatever. But that is like the pin, that's not, it, that, that's not what makes it everybody. That's what makes it even more specific. You know, I, I think generally something like, I don't know, you could sort, you can sort of argue that bits of technology you know the cell phone is for everybody see i'm going american now. um is, is is for everybody but obviously not that's not one brand and one product and one thing yeah the concept is i guess so yeah, but there'll still be people who aren't interested um but you know ultimately it, it kind of goes out but yeah it's a sort of painful thing we we do in story cube one of the things that sits behind all of the framework is we we try and be as clear as possible in any materials we have so same the course materials we have and the, the sessions we do about how do you actually put this into action and what are what are the kind of functional things that sit behind it and one of the things we talk through is is, is you know is that things like adoption curves and uh the simplicity of just saying like start niche you know start niche and then talking about amazon talking about facebook so and saying these are the biggest companies on the planet and they started with very specific things. I mean, I normally make the point that Facebook started out in a really creepy place rating women. It's in a pretty creepy place now. But, um, you know, as a joke aside, it's, it, you know, Amazon was sell books and then 
you can see you can see it you know bezos is a rich man because you know what they worked out all of these different things but it wouldn't have worked you can't launch amazon now you can't just launch amazon there there's amazon what does it do everything mate it does everything uh we've got an airline you know we we can do your web hosting we whatever it's it's un, you know it's it's seeing that sort of the good the good news particularly for people that join our sessions and the online course and the workshops and the webinars and the sprints is that it's easier if you go more niche if you focus on a certain audience in a certain area um demanding a certain requirement then you will understand them and you will become the expert very quickly um so it it a lot of companies are very scared of doing that because it feels like you're closing off all these possible sales but in the long run, it's actually so much easier and, and more enjoyable, I found. Uh, the more niche we go with our offerings. So, for example, we, we've um, sort of dabbled with it in terms of sprints. And we, we use the online course as a basis. We use our expertise as the basis and our experience. But then we take cohorts of, from different sectors through two-week programs online. Um, one sector that we specifically look at is EdTech because we've got a lot of experience in that area in the last seven years we've worked with at least 50 companies if not 100 in some way from the edtech environment we know uh, we have a lot of connections in terms of events and awards and uh, associations in the area and so we can reach that audience really quickly and when they say this is my problem we can think very quickly yeah we've heard that 10 times and this is the solution and it's not a solution that we may have come up with it's the solution that we saw other companies come up with and we've seen that process over the last six to 12 months so we can almost speak from the heart really about what did they do to solve that or in, in terms of the cohort it's even better because we we get a good understanding of who's in the room we can say right what's the what's the key challenges that you want to discuss one person raises a point and the three others say i've got that challenge and someone else says and this is how i overcame it and it, it's wonderful to go in that route so um, I would definitely promote niching as, as much as possible because you can always work outwards. If you if you crack that niche, whether it's a sector or location or a service or whatever you're delivering, then you can just work your way outwards. And you've seen it for so many big companies like the Amazons or the world. They're, they're cracking one niche at a time and just taking over. Well, that's the thing to recognize, isn't it? That you, you're not, you're not, there is no big homogenous thing. It's all focused in different ways when you get, when you get to that scale. I mean, the other thing I always point out to people if they're struggling with it is it's like, are you going to get, you know, good fit? We'll go British, good fish and chips from a fish and chip shop by the sea, or you're going to get it in a pub that has 150 different things on the menu. Like, you, you know, where you're going to go and get the best thing. Yes, it's a functional version of the thing. But, you know, that is, is, is so you, you go there because you're going to get the best. The same is true of pretty much everything. You know, you get it. You get it instinctively as an individual. Um, and sometimes, and this is the point, with, overall point we're making, is that you sometimes need to tell those stories to people to get them to, to understand that and kind of connect the dots, um, which is always quite fun to do. But as Michael said, you know, we, you, you only get this stuff, and you'll know this yourself. You, you're talking to people day in, day out. You know, it's such a, it's such a part of it. And I, we never... I think actually I mean, it's quite a nice thing. It's quite nice to talk to people who don't do it day in, day out and, and, and be able to share that stuff because they've got a thousand and one skills that we don't have. I've only got about two skills. You know, this is, I'm not even sure this, this is, is one. one. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, that's not for me to say. But it's, um, you know, it's, it's great to see that and then plug it into other things because, you know, sort of our, our approach is never to sort of believe that there is not other forces at work within a business. You know, we, we run business. You know, we're used to that. You know, my wife runs her own business. You know, we see this stuff all the time. But um, 
it is understanding that going today we're going to talk about this and we're going to get you to understand this and once you understand that you can then bring it in to the the messy world that is reality but if you don't understand it at all how are you how are you going to mix that in in the first place you know and when we think of entrepreneurs um i think most businesses are, are probably small they're less than 50 people that's where a lot of people are, are sitting um, and that's maybe all they ever want which is absolutely fine and so it comes down to motivations and that's the the fourth side of the cube for us it's it's understanding what's the motivation for the founder what do they want to achieve and therefore whether to go niche or not is part of that is is part of it to have a fortune and in the end and maybe exit at some point that's probably part of it for most entrepreneurs. Um, but is it to be flexible? Is it to have fun? Is it to to really understand your market and and have a, a nice work balance, life work balance, really? And so going niche helps with all of that because you can target your market, um, you can understand your market, you can reach your audience, learn from it, build a craft around it, probably then turn a profit more quickly. Um, without having to overstretch yourself whereas being a generalist particularly from like an agency or service point of view is just tricky because you're always learning and there's always something new which is kind of exciting in its own way but it's more like chasing your tail Um, so especially for companies that um, are still relatively small and haven't got team uh, management teams and departments and things like that that which can have separate niches um, we would always say start with the motivations of what do you want to achieve and therefore which niche gets you there quickest because if you if you nail that you can expand afterwards right is StoryCube all pre-recorded live is there a blend of both how do you kind of set it up so that people are getting the lessons that they need well it's an ongoing uh sort of you know challenge that we're, we're dealing with to work out the best way to get this stuff i mean the, there is uh so we have online there's course material that it kind of underpins everything that is the uh for one of you know that is the the go-to core information that we we cover in any situation and that exists as an online course with pre-recorded video and exercises and pdfs and whatever um which is great and then we've used that to develop so we've got a two-week sprint that we do which is basically depends on exactly how we run it, but four or five live, uh, whereas we're, we're saying, I go through a bunch of stuff. Uh, so if people get bored of me, that's a nightmare for them. Um, and we have sort of breakout rooms and Q&A and, and sort of try and you know mix up the styles there to get stuff across. And that focuses on a different part, basically, of the cube each time. Um, and we, bring, we can bring guests in then and stuff like that, which is quite fun. So it's a much more of a kind of all-in in thing. And we've been quite fortunate because we've found ways to sort of get them sponsored as, uh, so that it's free for the end use. Uh, for the users as well as get people to buy into them and we've kind of been exploring really the best way to, to do that but our, our goal overall is to make it as accessible as possible so it's very much um, trying to to sort of balance then you know is it good to have 10 people in the system there or 20 is that better or is five better you know and, and, and it's it's always a journey and the answer is well they're all good for different reasons and there are challenges for other reasons um, and then we connect people on a slack group at the same time and, and and do some other things as well but we also do a lot of one-off things so sort of you know two three hour uh sessions even as short as an hour where we just go over bits for you know particular organizations or particular groups or even companies themselves um and actually we've started to you know well, I say started to, we've been mixing it into bigger projects we've done so as I say, Michael and I were working together on a 
a brand, a big, much bigger branding project, you know, traditional branding project for a company. And, and we'll say, look, we would like everyone to get an understanding of this stuff. So we, we will sort of, it's not, it's not free, or, you know, so throw it in as, a, as part of the deal. Um, as an, a value added extra, we'll, you know, we'll run a couple of workshops up front and we'll give everyone the course and, and that kind of thing. Um, so th there is a core of information, which is relatively simple. Um, and we've tried, I mean, I don't know if you've got thoughts on this, Michael, but we've tried quite hard not to mess with it too much once we've kind of got something. Right. But instead, because I think it's easy to sort of keep tinkering and then not really know what the thing you're trying to tell people is. But on the flip side, try and be as clear and acknowledge as much as possible that this is a starting point. This is not everything you need to know about everything in 10 minutes. That's not possible. What it is, is the 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 map that can point you in the right direction and then you'll see how far you go and if you really want to take it further yeah of course that's going to go beyond the bounds of a generic piece but we can one of the things we offer people who, who take part in our different sessions is, is kind of introductions business introductions and stuff because we recognize that and we've been lucky we've got a lot of connections in the legal world and the education world and um obviously designers and web designers and animators whatever it might be um and so it's been quite useful to sort of go, look, we, we recognize that. So use this as a starting point and we'll help you keep going. Because that is the motivation we've kind of got is to say, yeah, you know, you will do well off your own graft, off your own idea. But if you move in the right direction and we can have a little piece of that pie. And it's always nice to see people succeed, you know. Yeah, it's interesting from a, a personal point of view as well. It's kind of scratching a niche for both of us in terms of moving from service-based company into product, but it's still a halfway point. Um, so it's it's relatively comfortable. I mean, the service-based agency model, absolutely fine. You you find some work, you get referrals, you get um, you do a bit of marketing, do a bit of sales, you win some pitches, you you deliver on projects, and then you rinse and repeat. And that's absolutely fine. That's the bread and butter. But this is moving into the ability to scale something. And to also have something that we do today that's worth something in 10 years' time. It's not just a project that, that disappears into the ether. It's something we can keep building on. Uh, and as Robbie says, we, we try to be as disciplined as possible about what we do with StoryCube now. In the first couple of years, it was changing literally every month. Every bit of feedback we were getting, we were going through it with a fine tooth comb and, and trying to understand what they mean, what they want, is, is it relevant? Um, and we still look very carefully at the feedback, but we're very considered about what we change. So the last 12 months, maybe even 18 months, it hasn't changed too much. It's been built upon and improved. We've improved the wording, the exercises, the videos. But from an outsider point of view, they probably wouldn't see a huge amount of change. So it goes back to that 1% difference again. Um, and hopefully the overall feeling of people that complete the course and go through the sprints is that was slick that was even better that was even more useful um okay. and and our feedback improves we we started off in the sixes and sevens out of ten and and now luckily we're getting the nines and tens out of ten and, and eventually all we want is tens and and extra refer referrals got to have somewhere to go right. um so yeah it's, it's it's been a great journey for us in that point of view um that is but awesome. it's always room for improvement well, and, and I know where you're coming from. I have taught workshops and, and branding uh, trainings and seminars. And so during the pandemic, we took all of that online and created Brand State U for the same reason, because people still needed that assistance and that help. For us, it's been great because the people who can't afford the agency, 
the startups, the solopreneurs, this gives them an outlet to still learn what they need to know. And I feel like it, it really fulfills the mission that we have. Um, all right. This is the funnest part of the whole day, the lightning round. So I'll let you rotate going first. Um, so Michael, we'll start with you. Favorite place on earth. Oh, he's, pa he's paused. I don't know where he's just oh, disappeared. Oh, that's even better. Is it like so deep in thought that he just can't think of his favorite place on earth? So, Robbie, you get to go first until Michael unfreezes. Oh, wait, are you back? No, I Michael. am back, yeah. Sorry, okay, I lost good. you for a moment there. That's all right. <laughs> favorite place on earth? I'm, who's going first? You are. Ooh. Michael goes first. Oh, right. Michael, favorite place on earth? Favorite place it's on not very really lightning, is it, Jackie? Not really lightning. Sorry. Uh, India. Okay. India okay, in terms Robbie. of travel. That's a that's a big place. See, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go much, much <laughs> smaller and, and and say that it's it's this down down in my living room with my my wife and my kids. That's about the only place I'd like to be. Really. That's good. I'm glad you didn't say the attic. I was a little bit worried about that. No, no, I do. I do love my family. <laughs> okay, um, it's just good. nice. To, you know. All right, Robbie, you get to go first this time. A movie you can't turn off. Oh, um, I mean, I love Pulp Fiction. I don't keep watching that. Back to okay. Back. Michael. For me, Back to the Future every time. Oh, I just love it. Just the music. So classic. It's a good so one. Classic. I have that too. Right. All right, Michael, TV show that you like to binge watch? Uh, I don't know if it's binge because you can't, but Strictly Come Dancing is a guilty pleasure. I don't know okay. if you've got it over there. but yeah, No, we do, do not. We've got Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> the, that's the, I think that's the, oh, the equivalent. That's the equivalent. Okay. I've been, I've been binging through the uh, American Office, The Office, but the US, oh, the US yeah. version. I mean, the UK version is pretty much my favorite show of all time. But sure. the US is a, what I like about it, it's a different show. It's, it's just, I mean, it's all built on the same principle. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of elements of story. You know, it's built on a core truth, um, but it has its own personality. But yeah, I've been binging my way through that for a few weeks now. That's awesome. Uh, Robbie, favorite book? I mean, my wife, I barely read. I'm awful. Do you know what? I, I, I was saying, talking to my um, uh, parents and law about this the other day. Like after university, I studied philosophy at university. Mm -hmm. you, do a lot of, you do a lot of reading when you do philosophy. Um, although as my lectures would tell me, I'm not sure they noticed I did much reading. Um, but I, I've been terrible at reading books since then. But uh, from years and years ago, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of this book called um, If on a Winter's Night, A Traveller by Italo Calvino, which okay. is... Uh, is 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 a book where each of the chapters is from a different book. It's a bit of an experimental thing, but it's pretty cool. Awesome, Michael. Favorite book? I, I'm terrible. I'm even worse than Robbie. I get told off by my family for not reading at all, really. But if it is a book, it's going to be an autobiography or a, okay. or a book about business. So um, right. the E Myth is always a classic. Oh, I, like I love the E Myth. Uh, Michael Gerber is a brilliant, brilliant. Uh, Michael, I'm, I'm favorite. Just a, um, go on, go for it. I'll say favorite podcast podcasts um i like well this is a personal thing i, I love rugby um and surprisingly i got into the podcast as well i thought talking about rugby would be pretty dull but it's quite funny so <laughs> that's something for me to switch off i need to do more podcasts though and i always get recommendations all the time so all i right. need to make time for that all right I robbie mean, how about one, you there's one i listen to every day which is uh so in, on bbc radio 2 over here in the uk uh, there is at 10, I think it's at 10.30 every day, there's a show called Popmaster, which is a pop music quiz. Uh, it's a bit of a national institution. And that got made into a podcast about a few, a couple of years ago, I probably it was there. But that is my, pretty much my daily listen in on, on, on Go. I mean, it's a radio show, really, but they turn it into a little podcast. And I, it's my long held ambition to be on the show, but it's quite hard to get on. 
<laughs> that is fantastic. Gentlemen, I cannot say thank you enough. I appreciate you. Um, I'm guessing getting up really early or staying up really late. I'm not sure which one we asked you to do because of the time. Well, it's, it's, it's afternoon, just the afternoon. Oh, this is okay, it. good. Well, then I appreciate I've had lunch you skipping... for chilling out. I think tea. you were drinking a coffee and, uh, you know, getting ready. I've got a cup of tea. Yeah, I mean, a cup of tea. I figured it was a cuppa. Uh, well, thank you both so much. And for everybody mm. watching and listening, please make sure you check out StoryCube and get to know Michael and Robbie even more. Gentlemen, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was very, very fun. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, the day